I heard a story and uh, checked it out. It's, it's well used on the internet. Just a story, but a master carpenter who, who worked for the same builder all his life for nearly 50 years announced to the builder that he was going to retire. And the builder really appreciated his work, and he gave the carpenter a $5,000 bonus and asked him to build just one more house. The builder owned one more lot, a magnificent lot with a spectacular view, and he wanted to build a dream home. But the carpenter was kind of bitterly disappointed about you know, this measly $5,000 small bonus for 50 years of work. But he thought, well, this last building will help him build a small cottage. So he agreed to build the builder's dream house. The carpenter was usually uncompromising in his commitment to quality. But his mood was a bit sour. And he had a little bit of resentment over the minuscule bonus. And it caused him to cut some corners. He didn't pay much attention to this building. He ignored details. He used inferior materials, particle board for solid wood, plastic for metal. He plumbed the walls, but they weren't quite plumb and they weren't quite square. And he accepted shoddy workmanship from other workers and even looked the other way when some of them substituted other material instead of what they were supposed to use. It was kind of an unfortunate way to end his career. When the house was done, the builder shook the carpenter's hand, thanked him for all their years together and his work, and then with a huge smile, handed him an envelope with a thank you card in it and keys. When the carpenter opened the letter, to his shock, he discovered the deed to the house he had just built. He didn't know that the house that he was building with resentment and with a grudging spirit and dishonesty would be the house that he had spent the rest of his years in. Day after day, he had the opportunity to create something wonderful, something magnificent, and he threw away a chance of a lifetime. The carpenter was sad, deeply sad and ashamed of what he had done and what he had done to himself, betrayed he had betrayed his own values and he'd lived the rest of his life in a house that he had built carelessly, resentfully, grudgingly, joylessly, and without integrity. Our character is the house we're building. How are you doing on your house? This is a house that matters. And we build it piece by piece, day by day, choice by choice. We build it on purpose or we build it by accident. We build it for better or we build it for worse. By the way I spend my time, the words I speak, the words I hear, the people I love or the people I ignore, and especially by the thoughts that I allow my mind to carry I'm building my life. You're building your life. Am I doing it with cut corners and compromised integrity? Am I did it doing it with pettiness and selfish resentment or ego? But as I do it, however I'm doing, doing it, I'm creating my future. You're building your house. How are you doing? 
building your house. The biblical writers were keenly interested in a well-lived life and what that looks like, how human beings might flourish. That's what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians, the book we've been in, except for the first Sabbath of 2019. We've been in 1 Corinthians since the beginning of this year. And we've looked at various messages from Paul's letter. We've talked about God's wisdom, God's power, God's foolishness, always giving thanks, Christ's mind. But this Sabbath, we're going to look at God's building, which is what you are, which is what I am. There in Corinth, everyone was building a life. They were designing lives And they were designing them around the pursuit of wealth and reputation, achievement, honor. That's what Corinth was all about. But Paul says in his letter there is a different pattern, a different design that is better to follow. Oddly, around humility. Oddly, around self-giving love. Around death to self-centeredness. It's a cross shaped life. The cross of Christ and the pattern of this cross-shaped life is mentioned over and over again in this book that Paul writes. And this message that we will look at today will hear Paul's admonition to design a life with meaning and purpose. You have this chance. I have this chance. And Too often, we neglect it to our own misfortune. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Isn't that something? That's what you are. God's field, God's building. Now, this chapter centers around three different metaphors, and their metaphor is actually for the church. The church is called a field. The church is called God's building, and it's called God's temple. And through these metaphors, Paul seeks to make different points about the church. But fundamental to this whole piece is how Paul thinks about the church. He doesn't think of the church. He doesn't speak of the church as an institution. He doesn't think of it. He doesn't talk of it like it's a a denomination or like a structure. He doesn't talk about it like it's a hierarchy. He doesn't talk about it like it's a building on the corner of 12th and Larch. That's not the kind of church he talks about. He speaks of the church as a community, a community of people. You are the church. This place isn't the church. This is where we meet. But you are the church. I am the church. We together are the church. Village church is not a place. Village church is you and me. That's who it is. Corporately, God's church, God's temple, God's field, God's building. He's speaking to us corporately. But he's also talking to us personally. I want to look a little bit corporately first of all. What kind of building are we building corporately? Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 
3, 5 to 7. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Paul says it really plainly here, doesn't he? Very plainly. He uses himself and Apollos, his friend, as illustrations about how we so often rally around various leaders. And Paul says, don't do that. We're just servants. We're just laborers for God. We're just doing our assigned chores. We are like field hands. We are like builders. But God's house is something more. And the chores that we have are really of no consequence at all. Yes, Paul was the one who planted the church. He brought the church to life. Apollos was the one who came along a little bit after and watered the church and helped it to grow. But they were all just doing chores. God is the one. He's the master builder. And apart from his direction, apart from his empowerment, their effort was useless. God is the one who brings life from the seed. By his design, the roots go down, the branches go up. Sort of like what Solomon said in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, you know this, don't you? Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. It's God who grows the church. He grows godliness in us by his spirit. He makes the gospel take root in our lives You know, long before I called him Lord, long before, God was preparing the heart, the the field of my heart. You probably noticed that as well when you look back on your life. When I look back on my life at that time, there was all sorts of emptiness and dissatisfaction. But God was like preparing the soil, the soil of my heart. And that's something God does constantly to us and through us by his word. So that when the good news comes to us. It finds fertile ground, a place to grow. So Paul says, this is a collaborative work. One plants, another waters, but God causes the whole thing to grow together. So that causes me to think about God's church today. God's church, our lives, are not built through discord and dissension. Ridicule ridicule and contention do not strengthen the church. It tears down the church. Nor do they strengthen our lives. The church grows by synergy, cooperative work, by God's power, by God's strength. Paul's final words in verse 9 and on shift this metaphor from a construction and uh, he goes on to the third metaphor, the temple. Let's look at those words, verses 9b to 17, 1 Corinthians. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day of 
the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Serious words. Paul's primary concern here is with the church. We together are God's church, the place where God's spirit dwells corporately. And it's important to remember that at this time when Paul said these words, when he wrote these words to the church in Corinth, there was still a temple in Jerusalem. There were still sacrifices being made. Worship was still happening at that place. So these words that he says here are pretty revolutionary when you think about it. Because that was a place where the Shekinah glory was, right? It had been anyway. The visible manifestation of God's presence was there. But Paul here is making a mind-shifting, paradigm-altering declaration that dissenters of this sacred space of Judaism would, um, would be concerned about. The Spirit of God, Paul says, is present, not there, but here. In the church, the Christian community is now the place for praise and worship. The Spirit of God is no longer localized in a building. It's found in the gathering of God's people, God's church. The community of God's people are God's temple. Not because we offer sacrifices of animals or grain or oil, but because the Holy Spirit is here in our community, in the lives of believers. And when we gather, God is with us. God is in us. Where two or more are gathered, he says, I'm there in your midst. We are God's temple. We're God's dwelling place, which is why the, Paul makes the point about relating to the community of faith carefully. We should. To do damage to God's church, to split this community, to divide it, to criticize it, to polarize it, to categorize it negatively, you're offending God. That's a serious thing. Don't you know, he says, verse 16 and 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Strong words, stakes are high. God has chosen to be be present in this world through a human community, the church. He's worthy of our best, isn't he? He's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our most earnest. And he deserves to be rightly worshipped and displayed in the world through our lives, through our community, both corporately and individually. The Spirit displayed and is on display through us, through you, through me. Jesus said it most beautifully. 
By this, everyone will know, he said in John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. So when people undermine the unity of God's community, when people make it a us and them, they're disrupting God's vehicle of his presence in the world. And there are consequences. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, 1 Corinthians 3.17. Of course, it's also the case that there's a difference between those who are building with inappropriate materials like wood, hay, and straw, and those who are actively destroying and disrupting the community. But the line between those two, the destroyers and those building with improper materials is very fine. It says, one, one commentator said, one is saved though with singed eyebrows, <laughs> one commentator put it, and the other is destroyed. Serious words. But ultimately, and this is where I want to camp just for the remaining minutes, Paul's point is an individual one. The church is made of people, every one of us. We're God's building. God is constructing something in us. He's constructing a life. Paul says you. Paul says to me, you're God's building. You're God's building. For several years, a popular reality TV show featured, it was called Fixer Upper, I think, uh, featured Chip and Joanna renovating homes. They would find clients and they would um, show them various options of houses that they could buy and then they would ask them to choose one and then they would detail the repair and the renovation required. And then they could see all these beautiful choices that Joanna would detail in her design and vision and then the things that Chip would construct. You know, I think, I can't help but think that that's exactly what's going on here, maybe in a different sort of way, however. In this passage, it's almost like God is house hunting. (laughs) And you and I are his fixer-upper. We're his fixer-upper. He wants to move from up there to down here into you. Oddly enough, His dream house is you. (laughs) It's me. We are God's (laughs) fixer-upper. We're under construction. But you choose the materials used in the construction of your life. You choose them. Paul lists six. Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw. But these six can be kind of split in half, right? Gold, silver, precious stones, that is, those are things that won't be burned up in the fire. The fire, by the way, here in this passage, depicts God's judgment, God's discernment, God's penetrating ability to know us, everything about us, and know what's good and what's bad in us. And gold and silver and precious stones are those things that will stand up to God's judgment. Those things like 
mercy and justice and integrity. Those are things, virtues that, that build God's kingdom. But the wood, hay, and straw, those are character qualities that will be burned up in the kingdom, in the judgment. We're all building a life. All of us do it inevitably. And it's not a matter of our circumstances. Sometimes we think that's what it's about. Sometimes we think it's about our situation. It's about the income that we have. It's about the, the opportunities we have vocationally. It's about our IQ. It's about our body Q. It's about our shape. It's about our cheekbones. It's about our hair. It's about our resume. It's about our GPA. We think that it's all about that. But character, the qualities that really matter, those aren't any of them. Doesn't have to do with any of that. It's the thoughts, it's the desires, it's the intentions, it's the habits that come to govern the minutes, then the hours, then the days, then the years of my life. That's what matters about me, about you. And we live in a place and time that's so deluded about this we think that money, title, office, reputation, all these things are important, but they're dust in terms of character. There are some people who have the best-looking outer appearances, but are spiritual hovels. And there's others who appear very unimpressive in worldly terms, but are actually now already beginning to inhabit an eternal masterpiece. What kind of house are you building? The wise man said it well. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fat, fatted calf with hatred. How we think that the things that matter to God are the things we do for God, the accomplishments we have or our achievements. I love the way Ellen White puts it. She says it superbly. Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings and never before was its diligent study so important as now. Character. That's what it's about. A character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure, and that's something, the only treasure that we can carry from this world to the next. Character. That's the person you are becoming. And that's what matters most. That's what God cares about most. Not your resume, not your accomplishments, not your GPA. It's your character. That's what God cares about. The person you become. The, that's the main thing in life. That's what you take with you into eternity. Nothing else from earth more than that. The text really poses two questions that we need to examine. The first one, and they're both in the light of the cross. The first one is, what will I build with my life? I'm sorry, what will I build my life with? What will I build my life? What qualities of spirit would a wise carpenter choose? 
gold, silver, precious stones. Those are things that represent hallmarks of Jesus' kingdom. We could list them. I mean, they've got to be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, justice, mercy, generosity, inclusion, no elites, self, uh, self-control. These are all things that when the judgment comes, they will endure. Wood, hay, and stubble. Well, we could list those too. Self-centeredness, envy, jealousy, oppression, prejudice, bigotry, deceit. The reason why I need to examine my life in the light of the cross is that the true nature of my inner life, my character, is only known to God. And one day, that's going to be revealed in high definition. Paul says, the day will bring it to light. That day in your Bible is capitalized because the Bible translators know that when Paul said that, he's speaking code word for God's final judgment. The day, God's judgment will bring it to light. There will come a day for every human being on earth where everything is made clear, perfectly clear. When all mysteries get solved, when there's no more moral ambiguity, no wrongs will get, go unrighted. No injustice or envy or greed will continue. It will all be exposed. I'd like to tell you about two different people, not anyone in particular, but people I've seen that have inhabited my world over the years. From the outside, looking at these two different people, they look quite similar, remarkably similar. They're leaders. They design and implement programs. They're involved in organizational leadership. They speak well. They're authoritative. They're dynamic. They're insightful. They're, they're spiritual. And yet, a striking difference appears over time, cataloged by those who know them best. For one man, the better you get to know him, the more you get to love him. He's kind, he's generous, he's meek, he cares about people, he's quick to admit wrong, he's genuine, and he treats people well. The second person, although he looks much the same, he has what some people call resume virtues, (laughs) qualities that make for a successful career. But the closer you get to this person, The worse the house looks, he treats people briskly, badly, too often. And it was clear in too many ways that the ego is pushing through. The ego is running the show, even though it was in God's name. It was a life that may impress from a distance, but when you get up close, it's empty. And lonely. These two, two lives, you look at them from a distance and they look quite a bit the same, but they're different. One is gold, silver, precious stone. The other one is wood, hay, and straw. I've often thought about that as I grow older in my life. I've thought, I don't just want to grow old. I want to grow up. I want to grow up. This week, my Google, Google, Google calendar recorded entry on March 7, 
was Dean Allen Kinney, death 2008. That was my father. And I just, you know, I've been thinking, I was thinking of building a house, building my life and whatnot. And so I thought, I wonder what would happen if I Googled his name. So I did, I Googled his name. And wouldn't you know it, there were the details of his life from the funeral home near Brownsville, Texas, where he retired. It said, Dean Allen Kinney, 74, beloved father, husband, grandfather, great-grandfather, and friend entered into the glory of his eternal life on Friday, March 7, 2008, at his residence in, in Laguna Vista, Texas, surrounded by his loving family. 74 years, reduced to 36 words. I got to thinking about my dad. I got to thinking about the life that I'm building, about my character, my secret life, the main thing that God wants from me. Sometimes it's the story of, a, of one man's life. Sometimes it's the story of a family. From the outside, both families look really good, well-rounded, achievement-bound, but when, when you get close, one of them looks cold and pressured to perform. The other one is filled with love and joy. Sometimes it's the story of two classrooms or the story of two churches. One is built, built with love and acceptance and encouragement and faith. The other one is built with fear and intimidation and coercion and threats. How are you building your life? Since boyhood, I've loved to build things. I, that's just been part of me. I began with Lincoln Logs and Tinker Toys and Erector Set. Then it was creations in my grandpa's shop with drills and bandsaw and nails and screws and wire and glue. Through high school and college, it was houses. And since then, I've built a lot of things. Some of them are even worth keeping. <laughs> I built a mantle for our home in Spokane. Somehow, I can't remember how, but I had a big piece of mahogany. I mean, it was big. It had to be at least seven feet long, inch and a half thick, 12 inches deep. And I thought that would be perfect on the top of my mantle. So I got the whole thing all nice and ready to, to put that thing on top. Cut both edges so they were straight. Cut one end so it was ready. Then went in and measured. Came out and cut brought it back in. It was a foot short. <laughs> how did I do that? I have no idea how I did that. But you know what? I've kept building over the years. Most of the time, measuring twice and cutting once. <laughs> Most of the time. How's your building going? How's your building going? Is there a relationship you need to pour some love into? Is there someone you need to encourage or listen to or play with or serve or give a gift to? Is there any place where you sense God calling you to be grateful? To stop compromising? Is there some place that God is calling you? Maybe... Maybe you sense yourself building a house of hurry <laughs> and you're rushing through it day by day and it's hard to take time for what really matters. And you say, someday I'll take time. Someday I'll take space. 
not today. You know, the main thing of life, the main thing of interest to God is the person you become. How are you doing? How are you doing? I told you there were two questions. That was the first. What are you building your house with? Second one, just briefly. What are you building your house on? What are you building your house with? What are you building your house on? What foundation are you building your life on? Paul has a fascinating statement here. He says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. In other words... Even if someone's building with the wrong materials, okay? Even though they may be using wood, hay, straw, and stubble. Even though they may be making lots of mistakes and getting life wrong in many ways. Because they build their life on the secure foundation of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. But it's true that some of the goodness that God could have built into that life... They'll lose. But they'll be saved. They'll still, still be the kind of person that, that live with, can live with God throughout eternity because they have the right foundation. But I don't want to be that kind of a person. I don't want to be a person that builds with wood, hay, and straw. Paul says, but each one of you should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, your foundation is more important than anything else in your life. Your foundation. What your heart depends upon so that when everything gets shaken, you're still solid. Some of us, it might be money. Some of us, it might be health. Some of us, it might be our appearance, our intellect, or making sure our kids are right. Paul says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is the foundation that will remain, Jesus Christ. He wants to build on you, in me. I can make Jesus Christ the foundation of my life. It's not circumstances. It's not emotions. I can trust him. I can depend on him. I can hand over to him my dreams. I can hand over to him my directions. I can confess to him my sins. I can turn my life over to him. And when you make the Jesus Christ the foundation of your life, whatever storms come, and the storms will come and rock your world, but it will not end your world because you've built on Jesus Christ. When you make him your foundation, when you make him your foundation, even some of the things that he uses to build your life, he allows to come into your life, even though some things that you don't want, they can become powerful things, things that he can use in some redemptive twist to be the most beautiful part of your life. I've seen God take tragic stuff, tragic material, and make it into a garden of hope. 
I've seen God take a child tragically born and make him into an experience of peace. I've seen God take a handicap and make it a blessing. I've seen God take a pain and make it a joy. God can do that. God can take a death and make it into a beginning. God can take a birth that looked like a headache and make it into a a source of joy. But it all depends upon one thing, your foundation. What foundation are you building your life on? This past summer, we visited Loma Linda, where our kids are, and we saw the steel frame towers coming up for the new Loma Linda Hospital. But as you probably know, what's below the surface is what's important there. (laughs) What's below the surface. New state regulations demanded that seismic safety standards for hospitals be met by 2020. So Loma Linda Hospital had to rebuild. They had no choice. And that happened, interestingly, the beginning of that happened when we were there in March 2017, the 25th. We were there that night when they started a 10.5-hour pour, cement pour, all night long, 100 workers directing 540 loads of concrete all night long, poured down into that hole. And the foundation of that hospital is an engineering marvel. It's actually built on huge nodes that are connected to isolators, and those isolators are attached to bases and those bases are connected to a foundation so that when the earth shakes it's called base isolation i don't know how it all works but it is an engineering marvel so that when that 16 story hospital structure shakes because of an earthquake it will absorb that shake and it can move 40 inches in any direction and not crumble You could say that Loma Linda University Hospital is totally preoccupied with its foundation. That's its strength. That's what makes it strong and able to endure. That's what makes your life strong, friend, and able to endure. Having it founded on Jesus Christ. Would you this morning ask him to be the leader of your life? Would you this morning ask him to be the bedrock of your life? Would you this morning ask him to be your builder? Because long ago there was a carpenter. He was a master carpenter. He went into the house building business and he's still in it. And if you'll let him, he'll build yours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your spirit's work in our life. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one true foundation to build our life on. This morning, that's what we want to do, to anchor it by our choice, by our yes, by our assent, this morning on him. Take our lives, Lord. Build from them something beautiful for your glory, for your honor, by your strength. And we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.